0: Hello everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Hear the Future, the podcast dedicated to gaining inside access to today's brightest minds. Today, we're delighted to be joined by Peter McCormack. Peter,
1: it's great to have you here.
2: Uh, Thanks for having me on, guys. Nice to meet you.
1: Yeah, likewise. Peter is the host of What Bitcoin Did, a podcast he started back in 2017, which has gone on to become one of the most listened to podcasts across the crypto business and investment space. Through this, he's managed to have conversations with some of the industry's most influential minds, such as the Winklevoss twins, Anthony Scaramucci, and Gary Vee. Prior to podcasting, he ran an advertising agency in the UK, and more recently, Peter launched a media brand called Defiance. So Peter, perhaps you could talk to us about your first encounter with Bitcoin and how it came about.
2: All right. Okay. You asked for it. Uh, do your parents listen to this? <laughs> they do, <laughs> they do. Oh, God, I apologise in advance. So, I was at work. This is about seven, eight years ago, and I'm at work, and my best mate gives me a call, and he's like, "Pete, I've uh, I found this website where you can buy drugs online." <laughs> it's like what? It's like yeah, you can buy drugs online, and uh you have to use this thing called Bitcoin. I was like what? It's like yeah, it's called the Silk Road, and it's a bit like amazon you can find any drug you like and he said like the best thing about it is you can leave reviews and you can like review the sellers so nobody sells any crap so it's all really good drugs but you have to use this thing called bitcoin i was like what are you on about mate he's like yeah this is like this online currency so um obviously i went online and bought some weed as you do and uh, with this bitcoin thing <laughs> and discovered it uh, but the, uh, what happened was i was like I didn't really probably take a look at Bitcoin. I was just buying weed, and um, you know, it's funny. It's funny you should say this now. So, the, I think the first bag of weed I bought on uh, the Silk Road. If I if I had that now, that rather that Bitcoin, if I hadn't spent that on weed, that Bitcoin would be like thirty two thousand dollars now. So I spent thirty two thousand dollars on a on about about half of weed. Um now I didn't really pay much too much attention I did a little bit of trading and then kind of ignored it and bitcoin went up to $1200 and then back down to like 300 and I was like oh, whatever and I ignored it and then back in 2016 uh, my mom was sick my mom had cancer and we wanted to treat her with cannabis oil um and obviously you can't just go and buy that in the UK because it's illegal uh so I said to my dad I said well <laughs> got to tell you a story same story I just told you I was like there's these websites where you can you can buy drugs, and you just need Bitcoin. So, went online, bought a Bitcoin. That was about six, seven hundred dollars at that point. Um, got the cannabis oil, and then sadly, my mum passed away. But while I was there in Ireland after a funeral, I was there for a few days, and I just went back onto this website, Coinbase, where we got the Bitcoin because there was this other thing called Ethereum. I was like, well, I was just bored. I was like having a look, and I was in between work. I, I used to work, run this advertising agency, and um, I'd taken a year off work and kind of quit when my mom was sick and I was like uh, I think I'll take a serious look at this so I decided to put some money in bought a bunch of bitcoin bought a bunch of ethereum and that was uh, essentially 4 years ago now hmm.
1: fascinating story and I mean I'd be curious to know what was it specifically at the time you said it was around 2016 what actually made you pull the trigger and buy bitcoin having you know not that much knowledge about it
2: it's a good question so and you've got to remember, I I, I was aware the price will go up and down because you know the previous cycle where I was buying weed and and and, and uh, traded a little bit, and I was just a bit like, oh, what is this? It's kind of interesting. I, I you know what? I can't honestly tell you why, but I was like, I had some money left over from my advertising agency. So I, I was like, I I'll, I'll put thirty grand in. I'll buy a few Bitcoin and I'll buy some Ethereum and just see what happens not paying too much attention, but in a week it had kind of all gone up. The Ethereum I bought was like $9 and gone up to like 11 I was like, oh, wow, this is kind of cool. And I don't know, I just scratched an itch. So I just carried on looking. Um, and, you know, when I got back to England after my mum's funeral, I was just I just couldn't stop looking. I, but this time I was like looking a bit more at the technology. There was a lot of like talk about this being a revolution, the crypto revolution. And so I just kind of like dived in and, and you know, Every day I'd check the price and, you know, every day it would go up, but like uh, it was on aggregate going up every kind of month. And so I put in more money in and trading and just suddenly started making like, like a lot of money. Um, yeah, I, I there was one, one month very early on I made about 14 grand in a month, which obviously there's very few jobs out there that, you know, you can earn that kind of money. And I was like, wow, this is great. Um, I'm gonna get really into this and and i traded up i traded that thirty thousand up to about one point two million within got eight nine months um traded it all back down afterwards but but uh but during that process I also set up a podcast and which and thankfully i did um uh but also during that process i you know about a year later i decided just to entirely focus on bitcoin and forget about crypto as an industry and, and that's where i am now i'm entirely focused on bitcoin i don't i'm not i've no interest in any, any other cryptocurrency
0: what do you think might be some of the biggest misconceptions that people tend to have about bitcoin
2: good question yeah you've got a good questions here it's, there's a lot i think sometimes it's not even just a misconception i think sometimes you hear about bitcoin if you've loosely heard a bit about Bitcoin on the on the news, it's either from some like over enthusiastic friend who's like, "Oh, I'm a Bitcoiner. You got to get the Bitcoin. It's the best thing ever." And like they try and convince you, and it's a bit like the same people who become vegans or who do um you know do CrossFit or some other bullshit. Uh, so they're really in your face, so they can be kind of annoying. Or you hear about it on the news. It's like, and and you forgot you haven't heard about it for ages, and suddenly it's on the news again. It's like, oh, it's suddenly all time high or some hospital's computer system's been shut down and whoever did it wants paying in bitcoin like you just hear these weird bits of news so i don't think people can really get their head around what it is they're just like it's this thing and i think if some people had to guess they're probably like well it's kind of like digital money i think maybe but i don't think people really know um if people dive in a little bit i I, I guess the biggest misconceptions i can say often come from the press you know, at times like now, like The Telegraph, The Times and the various newspapers will be writing about Bitcoin. And most of the time they just write nonsense because they don't spend enough time looking at it. So they'll say things like, yeah, it's, um, it uses the same energy as Pakistan. So it's an environmental nightmare, but they don't actually do the research and find out like the majority of Bitcoin is mined using uh, renewables uh they'll call it a Ponzi scheme without actually realizing the, the what the actual structure of a Ponzi scheme is so it's not a Ponzi scheme. Or they'll say it's you know it's got no intrinsic value. Or it's not backed by anything. And you'll say, well okay what's the pound backed by? It's not backed by gold. So I just think a lot of people just I think it's not so much have it uh, there are a lot of misconceptions about Bitcoin, but I think the biggest issue isn't even the misconceptions. It's just understanding what it is and why it's important. And I don't think a lot of people get to that point. Uh, I've been telling my friends since it was three thousand they should pay interest no one no one's cared we're now thirty thousand and this week about five people get in touch (laughs) so Mm -hmm. yeah people want to make money off it but but uh, you have to spend some time really understanding what it is
1: yeah yeah of course and I mean I guess following on from that like I'm sure a lot a lot of people come to you for advice uh, especially people who are maybe new to the game what advice would you give them now would you say you know to you know join like a the bitcoin bull or would you maybe suggest uh to look at some altcoins or you know what's kind of kind of general blanket statement perhaps that you tell a newbie
2: so i tell them tell them no not an altcoin stay away from them look if you want to go and trade them fine but the majority of altcoins eventually trend to zero value so if you time them right you can make money but for every you know if you're a trader for every thousand pound you make someone has to lose a thousand pound so for every million a trader makes out there, because there are people who are making millions, that's a cumulative a million that has to be pretty much lost elsewhere eventually. Um, so with altcoins, I just say stay away from them. Unless you are an expert trader and you really want to just stay away from it, just focus on Bitcoin. And think about Bitcoin. I, was like, I don't tell people like you have to get into it. I just say, look, it's worth taking a look. If the Bitcoin thesis is correct, at some point you're going to likely be involved it might be, might be next week, it might be next year, it might be in 10 years, but at some point you are, and the longer you leave it, the more opportunity you're going to miss out on. Um, and then I try to explain to them what it is and why they should care. And the real simple thesis of Bitcoin, the simplest thesis to explain to people is that it's digital gold. And people will be like, well, why is digital gold important? And you start with, well, why is gold important? Why do some investors hold gold? And the reason a lot of investors hold gold is because it's a store of value. So over time, whatever happens to the value of money, gold tends to retain value. So if you go through in periods of high inflation, you know, the purchasing power of your pound, our pounds or dollars or whatever is falling, gold tends to retain its value. Sometimes going up, sometimes maybe dropping a bit, but generally speaking, it's over like an extended period of time, it's a good store of value. And the reason gold is a good store of value. Is that it's scarce? There's a limited amount of it on the planet, and people have historically used scarce items as money. So the thing about Bitcoin is, Bitcoin is essentially digital gold. And now, the, when I, when you start taking people down this road, that the first thing they 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 struggle with is like, but but gold's a lump of metal. I get to hold it, and I just accept. Well, you know, there was a time. I don't know. You guys might be a bit younger, but there was a time when we all had CDs. And now nobody has CDs anymore. We just we have MP3s because it's on our phone and it's a lot easier. There was a time when we bought newspapers and magazines. I don't anymore. We get our news on our phones. Um, a lot of what we're doing has been digitized. And so if you just ignore the fact that some people like to hold a big lump of yellow metal, you actually explain and compare Bitcoin and gold. There's two things that Bitcoin does significantly better than gold. The first thing is, if I wanted to pay you guys some money right now, if I if I wanted to pay you in gold, I have to get that to you. So there's a delay, like two three days, and there's a risk in the, in the period of it actually getting it to you. So I have to, you know, think about how I ship it to you. And the second thing is, if you're like Simon, if you're like Pete, you owe me forty eight pound in gold. I literally have to try and ch- chip forty eight pound of gold off my, and, and so it's, it's just kind of annoying. Whereas with Bitcoin. You can send me a dress now. You'll see it within seconds and it will confirm with you within an hour. And also, it goes down to eight decimal places. So I can send you the fraction, the 48 pounds, really easily. So that's why I say to people and, and that's usually enough. I mean, that's usually enough to swallow their head. The other thing I then tell them to do is just get a wallet and buy some. Just buy 50 pounds worth, 20 pounds worth. Or I get them to open a wallet and I'll send them 10 pounds worth. And what I'll do is, They'll see me send it from my phone to their phone. And then I say to them, the really interesting thing about that is that Bitcoin went from my phone to your phone without any middleman in between, without any third party. If I use PayPal, PayPal has to send that to you and your money in your PayPal account is actually an IOU until you've withdrawn that from PayPal. It's just an IOU similar with a bank. If you're Barclays and I'm, I don't know, Metro and I send you fifty pound, it might be a couple of hours, but it's still an IOU. And then also in that process, they might say, Why you send like if it's a lot more money, say I wanted to send Simon, say I want to send you a million pounds. They might be saying, Why are you sending Simon a million pounds? I'll be like, It's none of your business. Why we're gonna make it our business. So yeah, all those bank transfers and paper transfers are IOUs that you have to have permission to do. Bitcoin's permissionless. I can send it to you, no one can stop me. I can just send it to you. And when you've got that Bitcoin, you hold it. It's no IOU, it's yours. Sorry, lots lots to, lots there.
0: Not at all. I think, I, I'd be curious. So given, you know, where we are in the world, we've had this pandemic, we have basically interest rates at 0% negative in some places. Do you think mm-hmm. this, if anything, just accelerates the usage of crypto mainstream? And, you know, where do you see that in the next 5, 10, 20 years?
2: Yeah, well, I think it has done. You know, we are we're in this weird pandemic. Uh, our government here is borrowing ridiculous amounts of money. Most governments around the world are. Uh, uh, the U.S. government is, you know, Biden administration is talking about trillions. Um, that money has to come from somewhere, and has to be paid, paid back somehow. And usually, when a government is borrowing a lot of money, um, and they can't afford to pay it back usually you get uh, currency devaluation. And the way they devalue the currency is through inflation. They, and and therefore, the purchasing power of your dollars, pounds, has been reduced. You can't print more Bitcoin. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. You cannot debase it. So I don't think it, it, it's going to. It's happening right now. I don't think it's any coincidence what we're seeing with the price of Bitcoin right now, uh, the adoption of Bitcoin, uh, plenty of companies and other investors are looking at Bitcoin, thinking that's a good place to store value.
1: Something that you said earlier that I wanted to touch on was, you know, you said stay away from old coins, which I kind of understand. You know, if you're not sitting at your desk twenty four seven, probably not the smartest thing to do. But what about Ethereum? Why why are you so bearish about that?
2: Um, because. I don't understand what it's for and I don't believe it needs to be a blockchain. So I know a lot of people are speculating on it, but the thing about Bitcoin, the really interesting thing about Bitcoin, the reason I can send it to you and no one can stop me is because Bitcoin is decentralized. What that means is, is that... How am I supposed to explain this? So nobody owns, nobody runs Bitcoin, right? There's no single person who owns or runs bitcoin. Now Ethereum is similar but the way bitcoin works is is if anybody can download a copy of the ledger and they can run a node so you can and I can and we all can have a full record of all the transactions that have been created. Now that's really useful because that means every single person who wants to be part of the network can validate every transaction. So if I send bitcoin to you you can validate that on your node that that was real. Okay? And the way Bitcoin does that is it keeps its block size. You will have heard of the thing called the blockchain. It keeps it really small. Mm. It keeps it as tiny as possible. So even somebody on, a, on a, a slow internet connection in a developing country can run a node on a Raspberry Pi, which is really easy, right? Over the 12 years of Bitcoin, all the transactional data comes in about 350 gigabytes. So you can run it almost any laptop. You can buy a hard external hard drive. The Ethereum blockchain now is at four terabytes. It's been going for about a third Mm. of the time, maybe a half of the time, but I think it's closer to a third of the time. And that's only increasing at an accelerating rate. Now decentralizing that is very difficult. You or I would find it very difficult to run a node. Most of the nodes are run through uh, data centers, places like Infura. Now, if the government wants to turn off Bitcoin, they can't. I mean, the Chinese government has banned it. Bolivia has banned it. I think Pakistan has banned it. Bitcoin is still using those countries because it's decentralized. You can't stop people. But if you want to, if the government wants to switch off Ethereum, it just goes to the data centers and you know, orders it to be switched off. So, but secondly, also the thing about Bitcoin is it's got a, this strong monetary policy: twenty-one million fixed Bitcoin. Whereas with Ethereum, they don't. They have like a weaker. They have an inflationary monetary policy. And all I want, all I care about Bitcoin is that I can hold value and I can send value around the world as and when I want. Very simple use case. Ethereum is a bit more complicated. It does lots of different things. It allows you to create applications. It allows you to run smart contracts. But in doing what it does, it has a massive attack surface. So I just have no interest in it myself. I think ultimately it is doomed to failure. On on the
0: topic of decentralization, I know there's a lot of uh, conspiracy theories as to how the origins of Bitcoin. I'd love to know your theory on you know who who was Satoshi Nakamoto. How did Bitcoin originate? If you have any,
2: yeah, I mean, so look, if I knew who it was, I wouldn't say. Um, and I actually kind of don't care anymore. So. I think Bitcoin is kind of like this very amazing gift to the world to have this decentralized form of money. Like if you look at what's happening in Nigeria or Belarus right now, Belarus they have a dictator, dictator Lukashenko, um, who ran a fraudulent election, and the 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 you know the citizens are uprising, and one of the ways they're uprising is they're on strike. But if they're on strike, they don't have any money; they can't get paid. So people are sub- sending them Bitcoin, so they've got money, so they've got something they can sell, so they can live on. Similar to in Nigeria with the Nsars movement, now this is a gift to the world to have a form of money that's outside of the control of the state. You know, we know what governments are like; you know, they never really have our best interests at heart. They, the people's best interests they have are, are, are government employees. They always put government employees first. Um, they make money in two ways: they tax us which is taking hard our work, hard work, uh, hard-earned money away, or they borrow, which leads to inflation, which we pay for. So to have a form of money that's outside of the control of the government is amazing. And I think it's a gift to the world. The design of it is beautiful. And Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever that person or people may be, chose to be anonymous. And I think we respect that and leave them alone. Hmm.
1: Fair enough. Um, I'm, I mean, I guess it is clear, you know, you definitely don't think Bitcoin is perfect. You know, there are definitely a lot of flaws that Bitcoin has. You know, take, for example, there was a story a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, for example, there was somebody who got locked out of their account because they forgot their, uh, you know, password to get in. And of course, you can blame that on that individual. But surely when you're talking about systems that we want to trust with, you know, all of our money in the future, how, how can we really transition to that if there isn't, you know, a reset password button, something that people are so used to. How can we ever move away from that?
2: But this is a feature, not a bug. This is about being self sovereign. This is about being able to be in control of your own money and responsible for your own money. Now, let's put his situation into perspective. The headline, which is misleading, is that he's lost 200 million of Bitcoin because he can't access his password. But it's not like he would have sat on that Bitcoin through every cycle. Thinking it's going to go up and up and up and up, and I'm going to keep holding on to it. Most people have Bitcoin like he did at that stage, sold it when it went up in the first cycle. Yeah, you know, he he didn't because he's lost the password. So the implication is like, oh, he's lost that Bitcoin because of his own stupidity. Um, anybody who understands Bitcoin now, who buys Bitcoin, understands they're self sovereign and they're responsible, and they create their own security practices. You know, we're trying. You cannot. You can't have both worlds. You can't have a trustless system and then have customer service. You have to have one or the two. If you need customer service, if you want to, you, know, you want yeah. someone to fix your mistakes, then, then go to the bank. If you want your own decentralized form of trustless permissionless money, you have to be responsible yourself. Um, I won't lose my Bitcoin in that way. So that's a feature.
1: I guess it's a feature, but it's a feature that I guess can never be added because the promise of Bitcoin is that there is no like governing authority.
2: Yeah. And, and that's the way you want it. As soon as you, you as soon as you add yeah. a governing authority, you break what Bitcoin is. No, you just need to be responsible for your own security.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to sort of switch, um, switch tack and and okay. move more towards some of the, the content stuff that you've been working on and maybe sort of the motivations for, for starting your, your podcast initially. Um, I'd love to sort of get into that.
2: Yeah. I mean, when I started the podcast originally, there was no real plan. I just met a podcaster named Rich Roll, very successful podcaster, um, really great guy. And then I was involved in the Bitcoin thing and I was hanging out in um, LA and I saw him and I was just like, oh, tell me about this podcast thing. And he told me and, you know, it's like just one day you decide to do it, right? And I, I went on Amazon, I bought the equipment, did the first interview and didn't have any plans. It wasn't like, "Oh, this is going to be my career or a business." It was just something to do, and and now, you know, here I am, three and a half years later, and I've got a team of eight people, and it has become a business. But there was no plan. um I just did it a bit, bit like you did. I mean, I guess you guys sat down one day and said, "Let's do a podcast." And I don't know how many episodes you've done, but I mean, I am here three and a half years later. At some point, you'll be here three and a half years later, and you'll go on at your own journey. And I think that's the case for a lot of podcasters. Yeah, I mean,
1: absolutely. I kind of remember it very clearly. I think I just messaged David almost, you know, half serious. Maybe we should start a podcast because we'd always have these great conversations. And there were so many people that we wanted to meet, but we didn't really have a reason or an excuse to speak to them. Um, You know, it's not to say it's been the easiest thing. There's obviously hurdles that we faced, especially in the early stages, you know, building out a brand. It's not easy. But I mean, I'd love to hear how did you overcome, you know, your hurdles very early on and kind of what were they as well?
2: I mean, I'm trying to think what hurdles I had. I mean, the first hurdle I had was consistency. So I did my first three shows, and then I didn't do a show for a couple of months. And then I did another one. I was like, hold on, if I'm going to do this, I've got to be consistent. Um, So I made sure I did it every single week. And then I made sure I once I went to twice a week, I was consistent. And that I've stuck with. I think that's really, really important. Uh, Getting guests is a hurdle, right? you know you have target guests i mean i i still have it probably like you have it you send out 10 emails and maybe one person says that's a, a hurdle and then every now and again you have a win and you get something like yes i've got that buzz and then on the next one um i've been very lucky i've not really had that many hurdles um because i've never really had a goal with it i just did it right um i guess i've got more hurdles now than i did early on i th- i guess my hurdles now are Sustaining a business, um, staying profitable, staying relevant—they're hurdles. But I don't—I don't really mm. overthink it too much. Actually, to be honest, um, just do it. <laughs> just turn up.
0: Could you also talk more about defiance? So that's the the your newest sort of venture. Um, yeah. Is that still in stealth? Could you? No, no, really no, no. That, that's, a, about
2: that's about a year in now. We've done episode seventy-six. Came out today. So that that was about. Well. <laughs> A couple of years into doing the Bitcoin show, there were other people I wanted to talk to who weren't in Bitcoin. Um, so I was just like, just I'll just launch another brand. I'll just launch another brand. I can talk to other people about other interesting topics. And then that's evolved from being an interview-based show, show to being like mini audio documentaries. So we did a, um, a seven-part series about Ghislaine Maxwell. We've just done a six-part series about Donald Trump. I did a four-parter about this band called The Ghost Inside. Um, we're just, we're just picking stories. We like one of my old school friends now has come on board to help run the brand. And, uh, my brother uh, is joining me and, um, yeah, it's just, it's just a different product product, but I guess what I'm doing is kind of like edging myself towards creating like a media company. So it's gone from podcast to media company. Um, uh, I don't know if I'll do many more brands. I mean, I might launch one more, but, uh, I'm, i'm a lot older than you two i mean I'm guessing you two are like what mid-20s yeah, 21 21 yes. i'm 22 right yeah. so you're early 20s is it like i'm about i'm about double I'm, I'm about like double my way through life than you two and you know i don't this is not patronizing thing. it's just like you start to slow down early 40s i've you know i haven't got the energy to create a big company with loads of people i you know i'm thinking about right 10 15 years it'd be nice to really slow down and Retire I ran a company in London where I had thirty five people and it's fun on the way up, but it's it's exhausting. You wanna have families, you wanna live your life. So now it's just a more of a case like this is a a good business, but it's still a lifestyle business and it needs to remain that way because I I don't want to get to that point where it's not fun anymore. Like I enjoy it. I get up in the morning and I make the kids breakfast and I hop in a call with my friend Tom or Danny works for me and we, we we laugh most days. We have fun, good fun doing this. Once it becomes a team, like a big team and targets, it becomes too stressful. And I, I don't want to do that again. I've done that. I've had, I've had that one in my life.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, very interesting thing that you spoke about there was um, you started your podcast called What Bitcoin Did. So that must have obviously been very limiting in terms of the topics that you could have spoken about. And that must have been, you know, a reason why you started Defiance, to have the diversity in what you could speak about and the guests you can bring on. It's almost similar to, you know, David and I, we started, our aim was initially finance investing, but it's really ventured into much more than that. Where do you think, you know, perhaps a more general question, where do you think the future of podcasting is going? And what do you think of the importance of transcribing podcasts in particular? Because, you know, so much content is being pushed out there. How can we really expect people to listen to that much?
2: Yeah, it's a good good question. I mean, podcasting is still growing. Um, I think the thing about podcasting that people like is the authenticity of what is happening, of the experience. Uh, I work for me, and you two in your podcast work for you. You can speak to whoever you want and talk about whatever you want. You can... You yeah, we talked about swearing. You can go, fuck this bullshit. And you can, if you want to talk about football one week, or if you want to, like, if you want to talk about porn, if you want to do, like, I've interviewed porn stars, right? You can do whatever the fuck you want and not give a shit. There's a lot of authenticity in this. It's like the Joe Rogan effect. Everyone loves Joe Rogan because he's authentic. Like, you can do whatever you want. And I think people like to get in the car or go down the gym or go for a run and just listen to an authentic conversation because can, I can relate to that. Especially when people touch on things which may not be talked about in the mainstream. Like, I don't know. Say if we're talking about COVID, maybe we want to talk about the fact that I'm not sure if this should be in lockdown. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure if the government are telling us the truth. Yeah. You, know, you might want to have that conversation and you know and you can say it from an authentic place. And other people listening might be going like I feel the same. So I think podcasting's got a long way to go, but what I think there will be is a very hockey stick industry i think there's a long tail of lots of podcasts who are probably struggling to get a few hundred people to listen to each episode and then you get then you very quickly go up to the ones who've got the hundreds of thousands like at the very end and there's a very few handful mm-hmm. of those and i think podcasting will continue to grow i think a lot of more podcasts will continue to launch but like how many people can create a solid sustainable business out of it and well yeah they might not want to create a business out yeah some people might be happy as a hobby but most people i, I think would like it to be a sustainable business like how many can do that I, that i don't know
0: awesome well peter i'm conscious of your time so i'd like to sort of finish up with our signature question that we ask all of our guests on the show love it Come on. um which is if you could change <laughs> if you could change any one thing in the world over the next 10 years what would it be and why
2: oh I would have Tottenham Hotspur get relegated through every single division and end up in the Vauxhall Conference. That's why I, I would have I'm not even an Arsenal fan. No, I'm only kidding. Um what would I have? I would think one thing about the world over the next 10 years. Um obviously this covid thing to go away. Uh it's had a dreadful effect in so many different ways, mental health, the economy, the future of people's life. I mean, for you two, right? You see, I guess did you did you both go to university?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm still at university, and everything I mean, is just from home online.
2: What a load of bullshit! Like yeah. this is meant to be the funnest time of your life. University, you're meant to be getting an education, uh, partying, you know, getting laid, all the all the fun shit you want to do, right? And now this third year, it's just blown it blown it for you. And I guess perhaps part of last year. I mean. What what a crap thing! My son didn't get to have his sixteenth birthday party. Didn't do his GCSEs. And so many people's lives have been changed, and I just I, I think it's just it's the obvious choice for for COVID to go away. Um, and I think when it does, or if it does, I hope we really realize what we had and cherish it a lot more because I think we all took for granted what a, an amazing planet we have and amazing lives we can lead. So I picked two Tot- Tottenham to get relegated through every division and COVID to go away.
1: Nice. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time, Peter, today. I really enjoyed
2: speaking with you. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, guys. This was great. Thank you so much, Peter.